when I was seven years old. Uh, I got lice so bad and I was scratching my head and my mom's like, well, we need to fix that. And uh, we couldn't even afford lice treatment. So my mom asked my dad to siphon out gasoline from a parked car and she washed my hair with gasoline because it was cheaper than going to a store and buying lice treatment. Uh, another thing I can remember was uh, uh, across the street from the apartment complex was a big grocery store called Alpha Beta. And in the back of this grocery store was, you know, the giant blue dumpsters that we all know and see. And they throw away food that's gone bad or maybe it's expired and so they can't sell it. Once my dad discovered those dumpsters there, he, um, since I was the smallest one in the family, he would lift me up into those dumpsters. And my job was to fish out food that had expired but hadn't gone bad yet. Or maybe the bread had a little bit of mold, but my mom could pick off the mold from the bread and the cheese. Um, and, and that's how we made it by. <laughs> Pedros, your husband, your father, author, coach, speaker, founder of Fit Body Bootcamp. Thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Eric. Dude, your story is unbelievable. I like to go back and start things off kind of at the beginning there. Where did you grow up and, and what was childhood like for you? Uh, so I, I grew up in two different countries. I grew up in communist Soviet Union, Armenia specifically, yeah. uh, all the way to the age of six. And once I was old, my dad decided that he's tired of being a communist and that we're going to escape come to the United States. And so we did. He actually bribed um, a government official in the Soviet Union, and we escaped into Italy. From Italy, we filled out our paperwork. It took about 10 days at the American consult to enter the United States legally as political refugees. And uh, man, when we came to the United States, um, you know, the way my dad explained it to us, it's it's a country of opportunity and freedom, and, and, and you could achieve anything you want. And cool. And as it turns out, when you're a foreigner and you don't speak English and you don't understand the culture and you live in Section 8 housing of the ghettos in Santa Ana, uh, California, things are not quite like he described, which is okay because uh, nevertheless, we'll still in a free country, an opportunity was ahead of us. And all we had to do, Eric, was learn to assimilate, understand the language, take part in the culture, and as my dad said, the more you serve people in the country, the more the country is going to serve you. And with that mindset, uh, growing up was very difficult. You know, I'm not going to say it was an easy mindset. Like uh, when you're living in government-assisted housing, um, those apartments aren't always the cleanest. And the previous people that lived there probably left it there with lice or something because when I was seven years old, uh, I got lice so bad and I was scratching my head and my mom's like, well, we need to fix that. And uh, we couldn't even afford lice treatment. So my mom asked my dad to siphon out gasoline from a parked car. And she washed my hair with gasoline because it was cheaper than going to a store and buying lice treatment. Uh, another thing I can remember was uh, uh, across the street from the apartment complex was a big grocery store called Alpha Beta. And in the back of this grocery store was, you know, the giant blue dumpsters that we all know and see. And they throw away food that's gone bad or maybe it's expired and so they can't sell it. Once my dad discovered those dumpsters there, he, um, since I was the smallest one in the family, he would lift me up into those dumpsters. And my job was to fish out food that had expired but hadn't gone bad yet. Or maybe the bread had a little bit of mold, but my mom could pick off the mold from the bread and the cheese. Um, and, and that's how we made it by. My parents had multiple jobs. My older brother and older sister, they were 19 and 22 years old. I'm the oops baby of the family, so we okay. can add that to my list of accomplishments. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So I'm like, man, I'm the only one that can't work. But yet I became the breadwinner because the money they earned helped keep the lights on in the Section 8 housing we lived in. Then I was able to fish out food from the dumpsters and my mom made it work, man. And But I realized that the adversity that we faced there did two things. One, it brought us closer together as a family. Um, and, and, and you know this, man, especially with the American flag in the backdrop, like our great patriots, when they go to war, when they fight to defend our freedom, our opportunities, our way, our freedom of speech that right now is on being hinged. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in battle, they become deeper in brotherhood. And I hear about this from my friends who are Marines and SEALs. And, 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 and I realized the same connection happened with my brother and sister and mom and dad as it was just us against everybody else. Um, and, you know, you got people telling you, go back to your own effing country. You don't belong in this country. You're taking all of our American jobs. Dude, my mom and dad didn't come to America to take off. Like, you wanted to have a paper route at 2 in the morning and then go <laughs> pump gas at 6 a.m. and then right. be a bus boy like my dad was at, at a pizzeria. Like, that's the American job my dad was taking. But um, so we dealt with a lot of adversity, but I'm grateful for it. One, it brought us closer. And two, adversity, turns out, is the gateway amazing opportunities success and freedom and no one is going to have an awesome life unless they're willing to pass through those gates yeah. and i've had like basically i feel like a seal team six member of adversity uh where where that's concerned since i started my training at six years old man that is unbelievable uh absolutely crazy you know going through that is crazy i i did dumpster diving as a kid too but it wasn't for food my dad would throw me back there and we'd try to find treasure you know like oh. you know but <laughs> Definitely didn't have that experience, man. But, uh, you know, flash forward a bit, you, you, you launched this Fit Body Boot Camp. Currently has 400 locations worldwide. I looked online, there's three of them within 35 miles of me, which I'm really excited about. But changing lives like crazy. But at one point, when you first launched this thing, you got in this thing where they, like, were trying to charge you or pay you, have you pay a fine of, like, $500,000. What happened there, man? So, like anything else, um, one of the greatest things that I heard was, the people that make it in life are the ones who are willing to jump out of the plane and build that parachute on the way down. Yeah. And I think that pretty much describes me and probably any, any hard charging entrepreneur. And so right. I was like, look, I'm a personal trainer. I love changing people's lives. Eric, how else can I change people's lives? Well, open up your own gym. Great. Now I can have other trainers working for me. How else can I even change more lives? Well, franchise your gym. So the economy crashes in 2008. And by 2010, I got this harebrained idea to take these outdoor boot camps and bring them indoors so that they're weatherproof, so that when it's snowing in whatever part of the country, people can be indoors working out with equipment in a group environment. And my whole point here was, one, to bring in the fitness, outdoor fitness boot camps indoors, but also to make personal training convenient and affordable. So now it's not one-on-one -on -one at 600 bucks a month. Now it's one coach, many clients at 140, 150 bucks a month. More yes. people can afford it and more people can come to one five o'clock class or session instead of just one person. So the idea was sound, but <clears throat> I didn't know the word franchising just yet. And so I was like, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to license out my, my idea, my brand. So I created the Fit Body Bootcamp brand and we're based out of California. So when we have about a hundred and 50, 60 locations, the great state of California sends me this letter and says, hey, you're, um, you're licensing out your, fran your what should be a franchise, 
your brand because, um, and the reason you should be a franchise is because you're giving people a protected territory. And I'm like, well, I'm doing that because I don't want a fit body owner to open up another fit body across the street from a, some other guy and create competition and they end up cannibalizing and becoming enemies instead of friends. Like my right. intentions were good, but because I was a dummy where franchising was concerned and all the franchising laws I had by giving a protected territory, we had gone into franchising territory, not even realizing it. So gotcha. California goes, hey, we're going to fine you $2,500 per location. At this point, we had about 150, 160 locations. Or, and I'm like, dude, if you do that, we're going to go out of business. And I can't support all those locations that we have. And yeah. leases, right? And, and like, they're going to have to figure it out. I said, however, uh, if you're not, if you, if you, if you just don't, don't find me, I will not sell another location and make this thing into a franchise. So between 2000 and beginning of 2011 and early 2012, we became a franchise and I literally averted what would have been a half a million dollar um, fine uh, because there was other fines on top of that. And, you, wow. and of course the cost of franchising was just ridiculous. And dude, even when you franchise, you don't even realize that there's 11 states every year that require a mandatory audit. Like people are afraid of getting, going through an audit one time in their life. I go through 11 audits a year as a franchise <laughs> uh, voluntarily and I have to pay for them. So, but I oh share all this, I, again, the adversity of going through that friction with the state of California made us into a Inc 500 company and put us on entrepreneur magazines, like 200 fastest growing franchises. Like what a great thing. Yeah. And I love that you guys do so much for the community. You give tons of back. You, you guys like shut down a target. You'll spend six figures on Christmas and stuff like that. Why was it so important for you to, to give back and be involved in the community? Well, I, I got to tell you, and, uh, and I'm not looking for any sympathy here from anyone, but look, um, as, as a young boy, I was, I was molested in Armenia by two older boys. And, and growing up, I realized how much scars that left on me, man. And then when you come to a country like this, uh, such an amazing, awesome country, but kids will be kids. And, uh, you know, I'm the kid with the funny haircut at the time. And my mom knitted my clothes like she did back in the village in Armenia. And, you know, you show up in school and you don't speak English and don't, oh, well, kids are going to pick on you. So I've got that, that, that happened to me in Armenia. Now this is happening here. And I grew up with this like chip on my shoulder and rage and anger and like, who's looking out for kids. And I realized I got to look out for kids. And so yeah. I can't go back and change my past. I can't take away what happened. But one of the most healing things we can do is pay it forward and look out for the next generation, in my case, of kids. Yeah, uh, I've had a very rough childhood in every sense of the word. Um, and so I just kind of glommed on to charities and causes that help kids. And so one of them is Shriner Children's Hospital, where they give medical services and treatments and wheelchairs and crutches for children who need them whose families can't afford those medical services. We've been supporting Shriners for 11 years now. Wow. Uh, seven fig well over seven figures donated. Um, mm. Toys for Tots. About five years ago, I found out that, you know, the many, many of the big cities out there, they have thousands of kids who wake up on Christmas morning. They don't have a single Christmas gift to open, Eric. And wow. listen, it, it might be because the mom and dad made a string of bad decisions or they just don't financially aren't in a place to be able to even buy one gift. 
But you know what, man? I know what it was like coming to this country and having my first three Christmases just come and go. We didn't even, we didn't even, we didn't even have a Christmas tree. Our fourth Christmas, my dad found a plastic Christmas tree that was this big, like three feet tall, and put it on this old TV that we found in a dumpster. And so I'm like, you know what? Kids don't have to suffer, man. I, that, that had me scarred, bro. Uh, like yeah. I, remember, I had pro wings, which were bought at Payless Shoe Store, and I remember painting three stripes on it with a marker. I could lie to my friends and say they were Adidas, so they stopped picking on me. Wow. And then it freaking rained, and all the marker went, went away, and they started making fun of me. So all those things scar you as a kid, and the best thing you can do is heal by paying it forward and serving others. So now we shut down the Target every Christmas uh, here in Chino Hills, and myself, my team, and their families go, and we spend a quarter million dollars um, every, every, right before Christmas. And the Marine Corps, who runs the Toys for Tots, will, dude, they do it in such a cool way, too. Um, you know how Toys for Tots operates. But they give you lists of you're shopping for a female, a girl within this age group, or boys within this age group. And so every shopping cart has a list. And we yeah. kind of, Joan kind of works that, my assistant. But what's really neat is once they truck that away, the following week, they put in a giant warehouse. Parents who have these kids... The parents have to wait outside. A Marine will hold the child's hand, take him into the warehouse, and let the child pick the toy they want. No way. Wow. And the reason I'm getting goosebumps right now, and I'm not an emotional guy. I never cry, but my eyeballs do sweat from time to time. Right. Um, <laughs> um, Mine too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I asked him, I'm like, why do the parents wait outside? Like, it didn't make sense to me. Like, yeah. Why? And he said, because parents sometimes will want the expensive gaming console or whatever the expensive thing is but if that kid wants the 50 cent rubber ball then that's what they're going to get and so we want these kids to get what they want for christmas and not what the mom and dad picks out because of greed wow and uh dude that's a powerful thing for me so yeah. you know those are the things we do and I, and I do that as a way of giving back and also as a way of healing the inner child yeah Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, starting with Rewebbed. They are the best digital marketing agency on the planet. I love working with those guys. Founded by a guy named Ian Inman. He's on a mission to feed 1 billion kids and help 1 million entrepreneurs. Go check them out, tell them I sent you. Alpha Outpost, amazing monthly subscription box sent right to your door every single month. You can start for five bucks. They send you cool stuff like this. Go use the code TOPRATINGMMA for 15% off your order. Every time that I have a guest on my show, they say that's an amazing flag. Well, this flag here and many others that I own are from a company called Combat Flags. It's a veteran-owned company. They're on a mission to donate as much money as they can to stop soldier suicide. It's an amazing organization. Go check them out, Combat Flags. Well, you gave back a ton with this new book, or not? maybe maybe not so new, but it's, it's an amazing book called Man Up. I loved every bit of that book. It was so like moving for me and fired me up for everything. Why did you decide to write that book, man? Uh, well, uh, you, you know, since we talked about Ed Milet before we got on here, since yeah. he lived in Florida Lane, which is where yeah. Ed has one of his homes. Uh, I really believe, and I know Ed will say the opposite. His mom and dad live here in Chino Hills, so he, he, he's in the my neck of the woods often. Okay. He always says that, that leadership is not natural for him. Uh, I kind of believe him, but I kind of don't. Yeah. I, I believe leadership is factory installed for an Ed Milet, but I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. Uh, but leadership is not factory installed for me. And in, uh, frankly, I'm a people pleaser. Um, I came from a 
my, my dad, while he didn't want to be a communist, he kind of ran the family like a communist and yeah. I'm supposed to be seen and not heard. Otherwise I would get the five brothers is what he called it, which was whacked across the face. Yeah. And so you learn to not communicate and uh, to stay out of the way and be a people pleaser. And that's not the DNA of a great leader, you know? And right. so as I started Fit Body Bootcamp and as my team grew, I realized that I had this friction with my employees. I wanted them to do something and they didn't do it right. And I got passive aggressive instead of communicating that. I was poor at making decisions. If you asked me back then, Eric, how many locations do you want? I would say as many as possible. And you would say, well, how many, when do you want those locations by those Fit Body Bootcamp locations? I would say uh, as, soon, uh, um, as soon as I can, you know, yeah. and that's not a vision. Like a vision right. is I want 2,500 locations by the year 2026 right? Now we have a clear vision. Now we can work towards that vision. And so I was a bad leader in every sense of the word. I was a poor communicator. I had no vision. We had no decision-making capabilities. I would just wait until a decision was made for me or pressured into a decision. That's not what a leader does. And so I had these, these string of anxiety attacks. And in fact, the first one I thought was a freaking heart attack, man. I'm like, I'm 38 years old and I'm going to die of a heart attack, right? And a, of course, the doctor tells me the next day, like, your heart's fine but are you stressed? And before I could even answer, my wife's like, yes, <laughs> he's, he's stressed. He's drinking NyQuil every night and taking a handful of Vicodin to fall asleep. And then he wakes up and he drinks a pot of coffee. And, um, and, then, and then he chases that with Adderall just to kind of wake up. Yeah. And that's not the healthiest way for a fitness guy to live. So right. lo and behold, I spent the next five years focused on building my leadership muscles. And um, one of the first real big leadership moves I did. I had a business partner in camp. He's a, he's an awesome and amazing human being. However, he's not the best business partner and entrepreneur. Many years ago, I should have had the conversation of either you take the brand or I'll take the brand, but we need to separate. I didn't, I got passive aggressive with him. Mm. Here's a Corvette pulling up uh, to our old office and literally like Pavlov's dog, I would hear his car and I would start panicking because I didn't want to be around him, wow. right? Which was yeah. would suck, man. And yeah. friends. And this is, let this be a lesson to all your audience because an awesome friendship was was eroded because of my ability to communicate that we need to part ways, mm. or at least communicate that we had a problem, right? Do something yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, of course, back then I was unaware of all that. I just blamed him that he's the jerk, but I'm sure. just much to blame because I should have the communication. So. One day after like reading these books by a couple of Navy SEALs, and they talk about how they're decisive and how they, they're focused on a mission and they communicate clearly. I'm like, all right, all right, Pedro, man up, man up and have this conversation with your business partner. I was literally driving to our office where I told them to meet me at. And as I'm driving, everything about me, Eric, wanted to make a U-turn and go back home or stop from a Starbucks. I didn't want to have the conversation that I knew was going to be ugly and difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I kept coaching myself by saying, dude, just effing man up, just man up. Just So one man up event after another, I was able to create a change in my business, in my mindset, in my personal health. It's embarrassing to say, but I would make videos where I, when I'm doing a selfie, it was just from the chin up because I was fat and you couldn't see shoulders, you couldn't see a chest, you couldn't see any of that. And I'm like, what, what kind of a fitness guy is out of shape? And so it's like, man up and get your ass in the gym, man up and eat right, man up and get your sleep, man up and get off the NyQuil. And so people ask me, well, is man up just for men? No, it's human up, human up to your highest potential, man or woman, 
we're meant to do more. We're meant to accomplish more. We're meant to get more, give more. And I finally was able to do it by really building my leadership muscles over a five-year period. Hmm. Man, I'll tell you, I went through my own fitness like regimen this year. I turned 40 last year. I said I wanted to be at 175 pounds. I weighed 200 forever. And I kept trying to do stuff and never did it. And then May 4th of this year, I started, I was going to do 45 minutes of cardio for 90 days straight. I made it like 10 days and I quit. And I was so pissed. I started back up the next day, did 90 days straight. Now I'm on day 155, I think like that, of working out and getting back in shape. I lost 30 pounds back down to about 10% body fat, man. And, and really it's because I've been listening to your show, reading your book, man. And, and so thank you for that. Good for you, man. Congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. One question, when it comes to life and business, what are your non-negotiables, man, to be successful? Yeah, you know, so everyone's, everyone needs a list of non-negotiables. So for me, I realized that I have a zone of genius. I'm good at a few things like this. I can't have my assistant or my VP of the company come and do this and go, hey, here's Pedro's theories on business and life and his intensity. And like, I got to show up to these. This is in my 5%. My zone of genius is my 5%. Yeah. Everything in the 95%, are non-negotiable. I have to, I have to outsource. So light bulbs burnt out. I'm not changing the light bulb. And the wife knows that we have Marlon. She's our house manager. She's going to do that. The garbage doesn't get taken out by me. I never go to a dry cleaner. I never fill up my gas tank. I never wash my cars. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, uh, all I have is barbell brand jeans and black t-shirts, just different variations. Cause I don't even want decision fatigue. I, I don't want to sit there and negotiate between what color jeans and what style of jeans seven barbell brand jeans, a whole bunch of black t-shirts for the most part. And so, so many things are non-negotiable. I will go to sleep by 11 PM, no matter what, seven days a week, it's a non-negotiable because I still wake up early, even on the weekends. That's a non-negotiable. Hey, you're invited to a, a wedding. What time is the wedding going to be over? Midnight. I'm not going. It's a non-negotiable. And because right. I've chosen my negotiables and non-negotiables, I'm able to stay in my zone of genius and really kind of operate at my highest potential mm -hmm. uh, dude we only have a hundred years on this planet like if i play my cards right i eat right i think right i sleep right i work out right and i don't get hit by a bus and if mom and dad gave me somewhat of decent genetics i'm gonna live a hundred years yeah I'm 46 i'm almost halfway there i got i gotta be the number one donator to shriner children's hospital and right now justin timberlake owns that spot okay and and, and so for me the time is ticking man and I don't have time to mess around. So there are a lot of non-negotiables, yeah. but if you're clear in what you want in life, you are doing yourself and your life's goals, like the, the, the stamp that you want to leave on this world, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't set your non-negotiables because otherwise people will start negotiating on your behalf. Yeah. Well, I'm big on morning routines. And like you said, it's a non-negotiable for me. I wake up at 4 a.m. six days a week, man, and, and put in my work. And But what's your morning routine look like? Uh, my morning routine is simple, man. Thing number one is I don't hit the snooze button no matter what. Because yep. I've realized that by hitting that snooze button, I'm committing that to myself that 10 more minutes of sleep is better than getting up and living my purpose. So wake up between 5 and 5.30 naturally. At 5.30, my alarm will go off if I'm in some deep sleep no snooze button, 30 ounces of water immediately. I'll drink it. Okay. And then I shower, go downstairs, coffee, protein shake, play with the dog. Um, I've got a German shepherd and it's a long story, but she has to play 12 times. Otherwise she gets depressed. Okay. Uh, I've talked about this. It's a, it's a great story, but it's a, yeah. another day. And um, once I do that piece, 
I'll send out three text messages to three people that I'm grateful for every morning. And uh, usually, so by 7 a.m., 7.15, I'm sitting at my couch with my computer, my phone notifications off, my phone upside down and slid away from me because I don't want to deal with the temptation of seeing notifications pop up and hearing the phone buzz. I'm working on the list that I made the night before on my notepad of uh, the three to five things I'm going to do to move the money needle. Once I work, you know, write my blog post, send out my broadcast, uh, put up my social media posts, etc. Then by 9am, my computer, I shut it down and I go to the gym, my workout in. And then I come here to HQ where I can shower on my uh, normal clothes and, and serve my team. Come on. And you have this awesome thing called Modern Day Night Project. Hopefully I can join you at one of these events, man. Uh, experiences, man. But how did you come up with this? And, and, you know, what's the experience like for folks that haven't been there before? Yeah, so modern, the Modern Day Night Project is really for men who are usually they're married. They are entrepreneurs. Uh, they have kids. And they're suffering in silence. Like those are kind of the check marks. Now, have we had 21 and then 23 year old kids, young men go through it? Yes. Were they married with kids? No, they were startup entrepreneurs and they knew they were suffering in silence. One wanted to yeah. commit suicide and has attempted it twice. Another one. And so the, the project is what we call it for short is really for the old me, the me that I described, the guy taking the NyQuil, the Vicodin, the Adderall in the mornings. Yep. Uh, traumatic events that happened to me as a kid. By the way, one in four men have been molested or raped, and one in three uh, men uh, and adults actually uh, have have had some kind of physical or mental abuse. Those mm. traumatic events leave scars on you. They put filters on your eyes and ears, and you see the world differently. I always showed up with fists up. Now I show up, my arms open. I want to hug you and love you up and serve you. But when two guys take advantage of your young sexuality and molest you uh, and they're older boys, you show up to every man with your fists up no matter what. And, I'm, yep. and people are like, why is Pedro such a jerk? And people are like, man, you're, it's so crazy, man. After I did the healing and worked with the therapist for 16 months, people are like, man, you look younger. Dude, you look mm. like you lost weight. You, you, you just seem so authentic and compassionate. Like the things they were saying to me, I'm like, son of a gun. If I knew I would not have addressed this at the age of 39, I would have addressed it when I was younger. Right. My only goal was I can't tell anyone about my events. I can't tell anyone what happened. I'm suffering in silence, trying to make my business work and trying to hold my marriage together and trying to be a good dad. But now when I'm with my wife and kids, I'm thinking about work, but I'm at work. I'm feeling guilty about the family, uh, but I'm popping pills and I'm taking, look, you don't have to go through that. Let's, we can heal. Mm -hmm. we can we can we can find some level of work-life mix it's not a balance anyone's like oh i'm gonna find the balance no you're not no part of your life is balanced right. when you launched this podcast you went all in for a period of time and maybe even now you're like it was consumed by the podcast there's a freaking balance yeah and when i'm on vacation there's no work-life balance it's all family like yep. it's a mix just got to get that recipe right and so the project is 75 hours of physical, mental, emotional ass woman to take these 16 men who go through the class for 75 hours. It's led by a Navy SEAL and a Marine. They're both my former coaching client friends and instructors for this thing. And um, us instructors take these guys through it. And the whole idea is not to whoop their ass with tough challenge and get them to ring the bell. Right. Uh, we do have a 40% attrition rate, meaning in 75 hours, about 40% of the men will ring the bell and quit. Mm -hmm. But as we fatigue them, we 
we bring down their disbelief. We suspend disbelief and allows us time to then sit them at a desk, get them to journal about what happened to them, openly talk about with other men what happened to them, uh, expose them to suffering, physical suffering, and teach them how much more they have in the tank. Yeah. Show them that, are you hurt or are you injured? That's one of the lessons there. Are you hurt or are you injured? It's like, well, this hurts. Great. A, a lot of life hurts. Like that's human condition is to yep. hurt with yep. brief moments of awesomeness. You know, if you're injured, let us know. We'll pull you out, medically deal with you, and then either put you back in or roll you to another class. And once we've suspended their sleep, once we've manipulated their fatigue levels, now all your guards are down as a man, and you're willing to talk about the dark, shitty, awful stuff that happened to you amongst other men. And I'm the first guy to get up there and just share what happened to me. And every instructor, just like me, have had some traumatic events happen to them. Uh, and one saw their dad die at the age of 11 right in front of them in a very horrific way. Wow. And as we share that, these men feel safe to come out and go, here's what happened to me. And as it turns out, the events that happened to you, they are not identity. They don't identify you. They're not who you are. They're just a blip on your timeline. Go live an awesome life. And we focus on the four F-bombs in the project, faith, family, fitness, and finance. Those men who graduate go to an awesome steak dinner with us on the Friday night of that last day. And then um, they are part of a private group on Facebook that we have where every Friday, like today's a Friday, we chime in, each of us do our own Facebook Live, and we share our four F-bombs. Here's where I am in my faith. Here's where I am in my family. I'm struggling with my fitness right now. Uh, my finances are kicking ass, and, and we connect. And, dude, there's Google executives in there. There's, like, fitness guys. There's financial guys there's a dentist who's like 53 years old who went through it and he was mainlining valium you know because he was trying to numb himself wow. and all these dudes realized that i'm not going to suffer alone anymore there is a better life out there for me and i'm going to go after it but it's the project is physically mentally and emotionally violent process of healing yeah Man, I, I tell you, I was 13 years old and had to fight my mom's boyfriend because he was beating the crap out of her. And I remember that day, it was super bloody and and it was insane. And I lived for that with that forever. In fact, I, you know, I just turned 40 last year, but I didn't release my story publicly until I was 39 years old. And it was just massive weight off my shoulders and, and had to go through all of that stuff, man. But I am so excited about what you're doing for men at that project and and definitely want to join you at one of those. I got one last question for you because I, I love music. But what's a favorite type of music or favorite band for you? Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of I've always been a fan of old West Coast rap. That's okay. what I grew up hearing. Because when you grew up in the in the ghetto of Santa Ana, you hear a lot of rap. And I, so I'm still into like just old West Coast rap, Ice Cube, and, and yeah. Dr. Dre. And currently, I listen to like Eminem. And really, I'm more evolved. But it's 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 rap. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Bedros, this was such an honor to have you on my show. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story, man. And you are a world changer for sure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for watching the show today. I so appreciate it. Please leave a comment down below. Leave us a review. Share this video. We want to get it in front of as many people as we can. I'm going to continue to bring on the best guests possible from world changers, entrepreneurs, success-minded people. We are creating visionaries here on this channel. Thank you so much for checking it out. Have an awesome day.